Hello, I'm Rory Underwood, and you're listening to Veterans Work, the podcast, a series that explores the myriads of skills and talents that makes veterans so valuable in business. Veterans Work, the podcast, grew out of Veterans Work, the UK's leading independent veterans employability campaign. I'm Rory Underwood, and I support Veterans Work. Hello, welcome to Veterans Work, the podcast. I'm Kate Silverton. In today's episode, we look at the values that veterans share, above all the drive to help and that sense of purpose that's of particular importance in today's climate. I'm joined by Stephen James, veteran, primary school teacher and founder of an online school in response to COVID-19. Mike Crofts, veteran, CEO of Amodigo, the leadership and human performance specialists, and founder of Three Pillars Project, a charity delivering long-term rehabilitation to young people in custody through sports-based mentoring programs. Finally, we have Sally Orange, veteran, mental health campaigner, and volunteer for the Nightingale Hospital. So I'd like to begin, if I may, by asking each of you just to tell us a little bit about you, your personal journey, as it were, from uh, military to beyond and how the transition has been. So, Stephen, can we start with you, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I I grew up in Wales, in Cardiff. It's quite a a rough council estate, I I suppose. Um, And and I suppose the army for me was always a kind of a way out. Um, I had my uncles, my cousins had all joined. So I kind of always looked up to them as as kind of role models. So ended up joining, joined the Intelligence Corps, um, which was, you know, brilliant. It's such an interesting uh, job. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan twice, um, once in a, um, a defensive kind of role and once in a kind of offensive role. Um, the second time was most interesting because it was kind of a, a multinational um, operation, um, working with the Americans, the Canadians, the Australians, and, and that was just fascinating. Um, left just at the end of kind of 2009, um, completely kind of, at a loose end, I suppose. And I, I was thinking about the, you know, the things I enjoyed in the military. Um, I enjoyed the intelligence work, but I also enjoyed um, the teaching side of things. So I, I was a battlefield casualty drills instructor, a map reading instructor, all those kinds of things, which, you know, were all good fun. Um, you know, courses that people kind of have to do. They don't like doing, but they have to do them. Um, and I, I kind of picked up on that, and I was like, right, the teaching side of things is, is something I, I'm really, really passionate about. So when I left, I kind of used my resettlement time to try out kind of lots of different jobs. And I, I applied to a, a school just to get some work experience, I suppose. And they got back to me and said, yep, come in for two weeks. And they, they paired me with a, a teacher called Fred, Fred James, no relation. Um, but he was, funnily enough, he was, a, he was a veteran as well. He had served in, in the infantry and he had retrained as a, as a teacher. So I had two weeks with this chap of just kind of picking his mind about what it was like being a teacher. And because of him, I, I then ended up going to university, very lucky that the army paid for a proportion of my degree. Um, and they got a job in a, in, in a primary school, um, which I left in September to start my own business um, this year, last year. And so. you've been, I mean, incredible story. There's, I'm, I'm scribbling furiously away because there's lots of notes to pick up that actually from the first podcast mm. that we did, and I'm thinking this all ties in. This is just wonderful. Mm. But let's just bring in Sally and Mike now. Sally, tell us a little bit about your journey, your story. So, um, yeah, I had no military background at all, not from a military family, um, and was quite late in joining. It wasn't until I was 24 um, that, that I joined. Um, and... 
I, I was a physiotherapist um, and so served in the Royal Army Medical Corps for, for 22 years. And yeah, I've had a, a fantastic career, um, served in, in Afghanistan, which I would say was the highlight of my, my career. I think it's all the training that you've put, um, put to use. And actually, although there were some really difficult and really um, severe casualties and, and injuries that I saw, you learn so much from that, um, both about yourself, your team, and the individuals that you're, you're treating as well. So. Um, yeah, that's that's been fantastic. And then in 2019, um, unfortunately, I was I was medically retired, um, and that was just before uh, the the 2020. So it didn't quite go to go to plan. But different opportunities came about, um, and I was able to put my, put to use um, the skills that I'd learned as a physiotherapist and um, go and work with the the Nightingale Hospital. In, um, in London. So we'll explore that a little bit more, but just stepping back to that 24-year-old then, what was it that took you into the military? Excite, yeah, excitement. There was, there was so much of what, I guess, what I was about that was just there on a plate for me. And I thought, why have I never heard about this, this before? Which was a bit of a shame that it had taken, taken till then. But there was meeting new people, um, getting involved in different things that were quite exciting and fulfilling, I guess, what I was about, the purpose of wanting to help other people. I'd, I'd known from, since the age of 16 that I wanted to become a physiotherapist. Um, and then to realize that I could do it in times of, of war, when people were at their, their lowest, um, was yeah, a re real opportunity that, that made me think I'll go for it. Mike, what about you? Um, I'm Mike Crofts. I was an officer in the Royal Tank Regiment for eight years. Uh, I was very fortunate in my time to to also do two tours of Afghanistan, one in back in 2010 and one in 2013. Um, they varied quite significantly in terms of what I was doing. So the first tour, I was uh, attached to the Irish Guards. I was a, uh, an ANA Afghanistan Army advisor down the remote uh, patrol base in in down in Helmand. Um, so I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to live in a goat shed for six months, um, which actually retrospectively, just to echo uh, everyone else's points, actually that kind of experience is um, what stands out most looking back on your military service. Um, In what sense? I think um, anyone, anyone in the military who tells you that they don't enjoy a little bit of hardship is lying. Uh, people like to be up against it, this kind of sense that you are on the frontier, um, you are... Um, you know, you you are sacrificing for your for your country. I think that that really relates to the sense of purpose that the military provides. And I think roughing it um, roughing it in a compound for six months is a great part of that. Um, and then the second tour, I was part of brigade ops group, so we were in Warthog. It's an amphibious vehicle, and we were just we were moving all all over Helmand and doing. Um, cordons and searches and search for IED factories and weapons caches. So uh, militarily, like, I felt like I had a really, really good um, run of being an army officer and um, kind of came to 2015 and decided that I wanted, looking ahead, I, 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 felt, I felt the army changing and I, I felt that the next eight years weren't going to be like the previous eight years and it was time for me to transition on and um, I'd love to say that I was 100% certain that that was sort of 
what I was absolutely clear about doing at the time, but it wasn't. It was um, maybe I made the decision very firmly, but um, I, I think as the time goes on, you are filled with uncertainty about have you done the right thing or not. Um, but my transition has unfolded and been quite interesting since then. And I've gone on to do a couple of different things involving setting up a charity and also setting up a company, um, which I think really looking back at it, having come from the army, it really has um, kind of set me up to succeed in those things. But also um, I'm, I'm absolutely um, aware that I had to go through quite a lot of personal evolution to be successful and to succeed flush outside the military. So what kept you going? Because I can imagine that's something that many people rec recognise, that sort of sense of doubt. We might make a decision, um, but then in that period of transition, yeah. we're thinking, oh, goodness, what have I done? So what sustained you? And, and, and what advice would you give to anybody listening or watching now who's thinking, well, I'm in that place, that transitional period? And I'll ask mm -hmm. everybody this, but just staying with you for a minute, Mike. I think there's a very thin line between what we might call determination and resilience and stubbornness and pride and they can actually sway into one one side to the next um i i would say i became quite determined to succeed but what i realized quite quickly was that whilst you might have a plan a you need to be open and embrace your plan b c and possibly your plan l um, because things do change and actually as you learn more about life post-military you realise that actually it's quite different to maybe what you what you anticipated. So I, I think really being open-minded, but utilising, depending on those qualities, skills that the military builds in all of us, um, I think having that balance is really effective. No, really good point. And, and um, Stephen, just to bring you in on that, one, it did make me smile when you were talking about hardship because I wanted to ask you about being a primary school teacher <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how does that compare? But in terms, just picking up Mike's uh, more serious point there, you know, you were wooed by various private intelligence firms, but you still decided to become a primary school teacher yeah. on leaving. So what was it that gave you, you you've mentioned mm. your mentor as such, was there anything else in terms of that sense of purpose and your own values that, that yeah. pushed you in that direction? Uh, uh, and absolutely. I, I think it's the, the, they're the same sort of values that drive you to join the military. They're the ones of service, you know, service before self. And, um, you know, I think, you know, even as a, as, as a soldier, you're, you're serving your country and you can take this kind of very kind of uh, bloated view about it. But then as a primary school teacher, I'm serving my community and the people that I live around. And, 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 you know, to me, that's really, really important. And, you know, the fact that I can go to go to Tesco's or, or other supermarkets are available um, uh, and recognize people. And they'll say, oh, you know, hello, Mr. James, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're my son's uh, teacher. And, you know, that that to me is, you know, if I could bottle that up, that would be like the best feeling ever for a, for a teacher, not when they look in your basket and they see several bottles of wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but but that kind of thing to me is is, is, is crucial. You, you get that kind of um, feel-good factor, I suppose, from whatever job you're doing. Um, and, and, and it, you know, it doesn't feel so much like a job. It feels more like a, I suppose, a calling. And it's quite a a twee way of saying it, but the military was the same thing to me. It was, it was a calling. I kind of had to join. I had to get it out of my system. And the same thing with teaching. I had to do something um, that, that served, whether that be join the police force or, you know, a fire brigade or something. I had to do something which, you know, 
unfortunately, it uh, doesn't pay the millions of pounds, but, you know, I'm well, happy because of it. I was going to say, I mean, I just think that sounds utterly wonderful. Mm. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are earning millions of pounds who would rather be in your position. I'm literally just though thinking, aren't you just thinking that you must be the coolest teacher on the block? I mean, the parents, I mean, the questions that you must be asked, sir, sir, can we see your gun? Um, you know, I mean, just, I, I only say this because my husband is former Royal Marines and, and mm. just, you know, my kids are primary age and that's the question that he gets asked even though he left I, quite a while ago. It's actually, you know, a, a really difficult um it was a really difficult transition from being in the military to becoming a primary school teacher because as two professions, I think they're kind of polar opposites mm. of, um, you know, kind of soft skills that, that you need. Um, as a primary school teacher, you, you, you're very much kind of on the front line of those uh, sharp emotions that young people have and they sway from one side to the other. Um, whereas in the military, you're more, you know, maybe more roughly tufty, a bit more robust. You, you probably don't talk about that kind of thing as much, uh, certainly when I served. So, you know, that, that was a big transition. And uh, also the kind of, I suppose, you know, the jokes you can have in the staff room are very different to the jokes you can have in the mess, um, as I've found out several times. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't always go down so well. But, you know, th again, th that was a huge learning curve for me. So taking that, and sorry, I'm going to bring the, the, um, the two of you in, but um, just taking that point on transition, what could have, would have made that transition easier? Or did you just simply have to go through that process? What advice would you give to people? Um, the first, at the first time, it's when you decide to leave. So you've got that kind of year where you're working your notice, but you're also kind of looking at the areas where you can go and potentially apply your trade. Um, that's a really crucial time because you've got the safety net of a, of a wage coming in but also the opportunity to go and explore lots of different professions um, and take the army up on its, on it, on its offers. Um, and that kind of transition is just something you have to push through, I suppose, um, and get, get through to the other side where I get to the point now where I'm kind of okay operating in a, a civilian environment because I've probably been a teacher now longer than I was in the military. Um, so I've, I've got to that stage where everything's working well, I think. Um, but okay. it, it is definitely hard. And you're not sitting still, and we'll come back to it because you're a serial entrepreneur now, which I want <laughs> to come back to. But Mike, is sort of there elements of that that you would, um, uh, you know, agree with in turning in, in in terms of the transition? You didn't have such a a, a pull as such to one thing. You've said you did a number of different things. Mm. You're now also working with young people, so perhaps you can just tell us a little bit more about the different jobs that you did do, trying some out for size, and then where you are now. Yeah, um, I think actually I probably followed Stephen's advice to the letter. Um, I tried three or four different things from resettlement and the year after leaving. Um, so whilst on, on my resettlement, I volunteered in a Young Offenders Institute and I was helping to run a rugby course. And I was just really struck talking to these teenage boys that had been sentenced and were in prison as children. Uh, I was really struck by... Um, how much potential they had and how much it was being wasted and actually but for a few a couple of different decisions they could be in the armed forces they you know ostensibly seen as heroes by the country or by many within the country um, but instead they were kind of wasting their wasting their better years um, behind bars and I, something about that really filled me with a sense of um, a sense of shame so I went off the back of that and started to um, draft up a, a course that utilised many of the military values, teamwork, um, leadership that I had myself had been uh, privileged to be 
exposed to during the, my time in the army. Um, whilst I was doing that, I also went and I wrote to an MP and went and volunteered for, for him for a couple of months just to kind of see inside Parliament, see how it worked. Um, I realised that that wasn't really where I, I wanted to be, where, where I wanted to work. Um, and I applied for a veterans programme at an investment bank called Goldman Sachs um, and was fortunate to get a place on that. Um, now, in the background, I was I was also pushing the charitable idea at the same time, um, which has evolved to become Three Pillars Project. I think the other thing was I, the momentum started to build around Three Pillars Project and the idea, and I kept getting pretty good feedback, um, a lot of support and encouragement, and my momentum, my mindset started to shift firmly towards that. I was, you know, kind of watching prison. Um, videos in my in my break time not that you get much break if you work at an investment bank but I was watching prison videos and researching it and I just knew that that's what I had to do um so I finished the internship in April and we ran our first pilot course in June 2016 in an adult prison so that was five years ago and we haven't really looked back since and obviously it's not without its ups and downs um but it's been a great decision and then more recently I've also founded a company like uh, Stephen doing uh, leadership and human performance uh, development uh, in companies and a number of corporates. Um, so it's I've experienced quite a few different things. But I, I would just echo um, Stephen's point about um, service to within your local community. I think one of the reasons why military are attracted to service is because whether you're in Afghanistan or you're serving your local community or volunteering, there is something quite patriotic about that. Um, and I think that a lot, a lot of veterans get a lot from continuing to serve locally, um, even though they're not um, deploying across the world. I think that's a good way of continuing that sense of uh, I think um, that, was, that was backed up as well by a report by King's College, who's saying mm -hmm. that 60% of veterans volunteered during COVID, which really? is a huge huge number of, of, of people helping yeah. out and it just shows the kind of I suppose you know the spirit there is amongst the veteran community that they want to help their community their nation get back on its feet and I'm yeah. sure it'll be exactly the same now as we recover and it's important to keep reiterating that I think isn't it for employers because there's a lot to harness in that mm. that sense of sort of wanting to have a sense of purpose and a drive and mm. to serve and I just wonder whether employers, if you think employers, just in your experience, whether they really get that or recognise that in the way that perhaps you'd like? I don't know. I, I think there's two sides of that coin. Yes to what you've just said, but also I don't think veterans sell themselves particularly well either. Um, and why I, is that? Just because that's what we do. They don't, you know, you, you don't see it as anything. When, when, you're, when you're leaving the military, you, you kind of look at your CV, you look at all the different courses that you've done and you say, right, well, I've done a battlefield casualty course. Um, great. But how does that then translate to working in a primary school um, when, you know, a child falls over? All you do is put a, a wet paper towel on it. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's kind of how do you then turn that language of, right, I can help somebody with a sucking chest wound when they've just grazed their knee. And, and it's... It's all about the values, as you say. It's, you know, what is it that you bring from the military and how does that translate into civilian speak? And it, it's, it takes a while to get that lingo because it is another language. Like Well, you see, now, in podcast one, uh, in the first episode, this is exactly what came up. And I made this sort of very layman's uh, suggestion that perhaps we needed what I call a cheat sheet, but you could probably put into better language. But literally, 
you would list all of those exactly as you've just said, you know, well, I can deal with a sucking chest wound and I can also put a paper towel on and, and <laughs> calm the nerves of a five-year-old, you know, but, but actually that language mm. almost that you can, and, and actually I'll bring you in on this, Sally, because actually you have worked uh, um, in Civvy Street, as it were, as a physio, and then gone into the military. So you kind of have seen your skills translate, but just um, hold the thought, could we have something developed between us um, that would help in that regard? It just seems such a simple thing to do, but that, you know, it doesn't seem that it's really been done because it's coming up again and again. I'm sure, sure you would know from your time in Parliament where you know you look at these reports and there's about five pages of, of acronyms at the back you know, explaining things. I think to to get all that from the navy, the army, the air force into some kind of common language would be a huge. One side task. of A4, please. <laughs> so I, so I think you're kind of touching on it, and I think perhaps we're hitting on the mistake that people make that the transferable. We talk about transferable skills, but it's not skills that military people bring to civilian workforce it's behaviors it's a sense of who they are it's mm. their values who they are as people so actually when you recruit a veteran what do you know you're getting you know you're getting somebody that's probably really loyal and has integrity you know you're probably getting somebody that is disciplined um is hopefully going to give you less problems than um the average employee and they're probably going to stay and work harder for your company now you have to accept that in your conventional job skills, they might need a bit of retraining or there's a bit of catching up to do. But actually, if you, what I've learned from running both a company and charity, if you have people with the right mindset, the skills can come on, come on board very quickly. And I, I think one of those values is the selfless commitment, um, which is where we come forward for volunteering. It, it, it is just part, part of us. So you, you don't actually see it being any different. I don't see myself as having done anything different during the pandemic because I wasn't I wasn't doing anything, but how what could I do? And there was a lot of people that said, oh, it's all right for you. you can, you've got a skill that you can use and, and put to use. Um, but I think any number of people found different skills. And I'm um, very lucky through my own transition that I was asked to be one of the national ambassadors for the Army Cadet Force. Now, what I saw of those young people and the adult volunteers during the pandemic is incredible. You know, the the innovation of the different things that, that they've been able to go and do. Um, so they're learning these selfless commitment right from a really young age, from the age of 12. They're, they're seeing other people do it. They're seeing veterans who've gone and, and done it before them. So, um, yeah, I think that is one of the, it's the values that we, we learn. So having sat with a foot in both camps, as it were, what were the major challenges for you in transitioning back out again? Obviously, there were extenuating circumstances, which you've alluded to. but There were, and that, that made it difficult because, you know, unlike the other two, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I actually fought quite hard not to. Um, but I feel a real, that I was really lucky to be scooped up by the Army Cadet Force. I feel that they helped me um, and, and really have given me that sense of purpose that, especially during, you know, 2020, when a year went a few months before being told everything's been very different for you. Um, I was able to 
I still am able to wear a uniform in a capacity. Um, and I'm very lucky to have a rank slide that only three people in the, in the UK have as an oh, Army Cadet Force um, ambassador. And I'm really, really proud of that. Um, so that very much eased me. And I think that that is something that veterans can use all those, um, those values and, and standards to be able to take foot because you're then instilling them into the next generation. And that's the same as, you know, primary, primary school teaching or um, young offenders. How do we encourage that? How have you had to, I mean, is it something that you've, do, you've, you've been aware of or is it just, no, I'm gonna go and volunteer to help out with the Nightingale Hospital because that's what I do. You know, how can we harness that, um, the assets that uh, service personnel bring? I think, it is that, um, what's, what's the word? It's the military veterans sort of playing down their, their skills because of being humble and the, the humility that they have as, as people. So it's very hard to stand up and say, I've done this, I've done that, because it's part, been part of your job. So anybody mm. who's been to Afghanistan very rarely will tell you much, much about it. So... It often does have to be to be drawn out, and in resettlement, you do get taught that you need to sell yourself. Um, but I think it's that that fine line between confidence and arrogance and humility. And um, but when we have a sense of purpose, which I think has been really clearly outlined today, when we have a sense of purpose, is that not just a natural drive? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's just with within you. I mean, I've volunteered since the age of sixteen, and. People say, you're always doing this, you're always doing that. I've just always done it. It's never been... So is one message from today, follow your heart? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. And and if you're humble with that as well, um, I think that can help, that can help others. Um, you campaign now a lot around ways, raising awareness of mental health, which is something we all have. <laughs> mental health, mental fitness. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that and why you're so passionate about it. I have had my own struggles with my, my mental health, my, my mental fitness. And as a physiotherapist, I'm very, you know, I've always been about physical fitness and getting people strong and driving them forward. And often people's mental fitness will be affected when their physical fitness um, is, is affected. So again, it's something that has sort of always been a part of me when it's been other people. And I'm very, very good at being able to help other people when they're having challenges. It's when it's yourself, whether it's that, it's that selfless commitment again that you put others first. And I think we're all very good at helping others, not quite so good at helping, helping ourselves. But... Yeah, we, we do all have it and it, it's really important to to champion that we have it and there's times when it's strong and there's times when it's not quite so quite so strong and we need to continue with that training. So if again, if you look at physical fitness, people go to the gym, they get fit. If they don't continue doing that fitness, that will deteriorate. So if somebody does have a mental health challenge, it's not just getting them through that time it's then utilizing what they've learned to continue because there probably are going to be more bumps in the road it's life um, yeah. and again I think it is important to stress that happens to us all 
Um, and in the same way, if you sprained your ankle as a physio, you'd be offering a crutch, you know, to, to sort of help that person through. But I do wonder, and we've talked about it in, in the previous episode, in terms of employers, that do you think there is a perception, um, obviously right or otherwise, that, that they might worry, um, for want of a better word, when employing veterans about their mental health because of the challenges, because of their, and dare I say, in the media, we read so much about post-traumatic stress and you know, that maybe some unhelpful labels that are given to veterans and, and what would we do in that regard? And I'd like to bring you all in on that, but Sally, to you first. I, I think if you look at veterans through the pandemic, and sorry to keep coming back to the pandemic, but they have actually been some of the strongest people because they're used to the life that not knowing what's going to be happening, things changing, being away from people. So there's a lot of strengths there that the rest of the nation haven't perhaps had to deal with previously so this is why mental health across the board has become much more visible to to a lot more people whereas I think that's a true strength of service people that veterans can um can can bring so it doesn't have to be in a a mad bad or sad way it really is in a strength and resilience and what you've learned and taken forward yeah I mean if you can live in a in a goat shed for six months then um we didn't have Netflix, so, so <laughs> um, yeah. So comparatively, um, being on lockdown hasn't been that, that bad. But I would, I definitely echo what Sally said. We, I, I think there's a certain amount of being being told that actually we need to sit sit still, and you know, sitting at, staying at home is for the good of the country. Um, and I think some people have struggled with that, um, and I suspect veterans have probably taken to it quite well because actually, um, the only way we've managed to get through this is by being disciplined. Um, I, I I think the this the the mad bad or sad analogy that is often thrown at veterans. I think as a society, fortunately, we are becoming more aware of mental health and uh, people's well-being. So I think there has been a positive uh, move away from perhaps those labels. I think it should be something that concerns employers far less than maybe it did 10, 15 years ago. I certainly know for myself, my mental health challenges, it isn't related to operations. Um, And although I saw some really horrific things, it was that sense of purpose that actually helped me because I felt like I was doing something, I was making a difference. And that's why it is the highlight of my career was was going Mm. to Afghanistan. And is that a message then for people listening and watching today to take away is actually find your purpose. And it might be a different one, but it might be along the same lines. You know, as we've been discussing in terms of serving your community, serving your country, it's along the same lines. Is it mm. just once you've found your purpose, which presumably if you're having a really, if you're enjoying your military career, actually you can then make that transition as long as you find something else that makes your heart sing, as it were. It might be in a different format, but if it's mm. still giving you purpose, if it still fuels that sense of purpose, then actually I'm just thinking of people that think, well, this transition is the hardest mm. bit. How do I know that I can have faith in making that jump. And I think if you know that what you're going to do is going to feed your soul, then you're onto a good thing. Would that yeah, be? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's about, you know, battling those misconceptions that are out there as well um, also. But, you know, there are, there are companies, you know, such as Deloitte, which, which are purposely reaching out to, to veterans because they appreciate the, you know, the, the enormous value they can bring to a company. And, and, and that, that is the message we need to get out there. The message that if you employ a, a veteran, they will add value to your company. And that, that's whether you're running a, 
you know, kind of you're a sole trader or whether you are a huge, you know, multinational company, they are going to, to, to do good things for you. And I think that's that's the message. We need to keep beating that drum uh, constantly because I think you're right. Men's, mental health has been, certainly when I was in the military, it, it wasn't something you openly kind of maybe discussed as much. Um, and now you can kind of see that narrative changing. And, and I certainly as I speak to people who are serving still, you know, it, it, it is something that is talked about a lot more. Um, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be kind of uh, hiding away. You know, talk about it, and you know, it will kind of the truth will set you free, as it as, mm -hmm. as it were. I think there are two particular things that we don't speak about enough, and actually, they're the most important things that veterans need to seek after their career, and they are a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And I think both of those things you're resonating through your experiences, Sally. So. Having a sense of purpose in the military is, you know, going about your professional work, you know, very clearly what you're doing day to day, whether you're on operations, you know, why you're there. Um, and that provides a sense of certainty. But the second point about belonging, the military gives everybody a real sense of belonging. You're, the, the entire structure is, is if you're part of a family. So if you join at 17, 18, you have a troop or platoon sergeant who effectively is a father figure. You have corporals, lance corporals, who effectively are elder brothers or cousins or uncles. Um, this structure is uh, goes throughout the, the entire organization. So when you then, when you then leave the military, um, what many people I think are experiencing is that loss of belonging and that loss of purpose which is why it's so important to find a way to give back to your community, to be patriotic locally, if you were, because that firstly gives you a sense of purpose, but also you start to belong to new communities. I think quite often maybe we talk too much about the professional side, and obviously everyone has to earn enough money to pay the, to pay the bills and to pay for their rent and food. Um, but I think the stuff that people really struggle with is looking back on their military career and recognising how much they belonged and how much purpose they had. But then once you leave, that is kind of taken away. And that's what you have to fight really hard to secure. Really important. No, I, I think that's a huge, mm. that really resonates with me, actually, that kind of sense of belonging. And it's and it's something, you know, even what, 12 years now that I'm, I'm still looking for, mm. always still looking for in the organisations that you kind of, you, you join or you get involved with, right? You know, who, who, are, who are the fellow veterans? Who served? And, you know, you kind of make a beeline for them and you've got instant common ground with them and you can strike up a conversation, even a kind of, you know, us three have, have never met before. Mm. You know, we could all quite happily chat for an hour before this, like we're kind of long lost brothers and sisters. And I think that's the beauty of the veteran community is it doesn't matter whether you are, you know, a brigadier general or a, a private soldier. You've all got that kind of similar experience which you can draw upon and 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 share with each other you've all got stories to tell which which is wonderful and i think yeah it's a really lovely to point to end on and i'm just again i've got you know in my mind i've got those who are sitting thinking I've got to make the transition actually it sounds and and i've got a really clear sense that if you just reach out there's going to be a hand that will help you sort of Absolutely. cross that divide because you've all been there i feel i feel that i'm still there because there are lots of veterans within the army cadets that have gone on to be adult volunteers because it is that sense of belonging that they're realizing there are people that get what i'm saying they get the things that perhaps they don't get in their um their other parts of their lives so 
they're all drawing on as well, which is why I think it's such a community of people that it is. And I have just seen some wonderful things, um, some really, really great things from some yeah, amazing people. So let's leave everybody, if we can, with a thought or two um, to share in terms of biggest lessons that you've learned in making the transition. The, you know, any pieces of advice that you would say, do this first or hold this in mind. And just a final thought on the, the values and that sense of purpose that we've been talking about today and how people might kind of get their sense of their selves outside to make so maintain that sense of purpose, you know, how can they do that and have faith that they can do that? Sorry, probably big thoughts to be throwing at you for the last, but you know, give me what you will. Um, I, I think, uh, I suppose my advice to anyone leaving would be to use that resettlement time to its absolute max, get as, get as many experiences as you possibly can in as many different kind of careers and, and, and industries as you can. Um, and, and, and use those to kind of power you into what you feel passionate about. So and if you go into, um, I, I don't know, teaching, and you're really, really passionate about that, you can, you know, kind of drive forward on that. And I think that's, that's, that, that's important. And kind of the second thing w w that I would kind of say would be to, you know, rely on people who have already left as well. So ask them questions. If somebody's left, you know, no doubt you've got a friend who's left a year before you or two years before you, send them a message. Just ask them how it's going. You know, they will talk you through the, the challenges that they've had. And I think that's, a, you know, a really, really important uh, tool to use as well. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, the values are ingrained kind of in all of us across all, all three services. And there's kind of no drawing them out. They're, they're part of you. They're part of your DNA. So I think... An employer will see your value, definitely. And you will go through periods of uh, applying for lots of jobs and you'll get no responses. And it's really disappointing, but you will find something that fits you. And, and I think just keep pushing, keep driving, use that resilience that we, we know we've all got. Mike? I think anyone that is leaving the forces now, it's important to remember that it is only the start of the journey. Things will change. You will be taken in different directions. You may have a plan A, but be prepared to embrace plan B, C, D, and just be open to that change. And don't be worn down if you get rejection. Re rejection is part of is part of life, and there is more uncertainty with being a civilian. But um, depend on that resilience, as Stephen says, um, and just embrace that. Embrace the journey and find where you do belong. Um, because there is so much that veterans have to offer in the wider community. Yeah, re reaching out for help. Um, there's lots of people who've been there and done it before, and there will be people that will follow. So you'll find your own way in that path. Um, so yeah, re reach out to lots of lots of people and just be open. Don't don't be tunnel vision and thinking I've got to do it. And it doesn't. Everybody's timeline is very different as well. We've we've spoke about. Um, the different times when we've we've left and some of it's taken longer and some of it's it's not taken as long so um it's not comparing yourself to to anybody else um but following your own heart is what we we said before and final quick word one or two um to an employer what are the skills and assets that they are buying into when they take on someone who's served i think 
they will feel good that they're embracing um, somebody who's got so much skills and value and they can actually draw out of them um, things that perhaps are that person doesn't shout about, but they, they'll draw them out. And once you've got that kind of person within your company, it will resonate with so many other people and they will become a champion of other people. And maybe to remember to question them a little bit more to find out, to remember yeah. that actually they might not be getting the full story. They need to sometimes draw these skills out. Yeah, um, but it's amazing um, what you can have in later conversations. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. I didn't know you did that. I didn't yeah. know so you there's did a duty, that. I think, on the employer too, to think, right, you've served, that tells me quite a lot. I'm going to, if, if you're being humble, I'm going to draw that from you. But what would you say in terms of, if I'm the employer sitting here now, why should I take on a veteran? Because you'll always be able to depend on them. You can always depend on a veteran. So whatever you, what you need from them, they will give you their all. They will give you integrity. They will give you loyalty. They will give you determination. And when your back might be up against the wall or your business is struggling, they'll be there um, working really hard for you um, alongside you. And that won't just be in the nine till five that there, if a job needs doing, it will be out of those hours as well till the job's done. I, I think my, my, we, we, we've talked about a lot of values there and I, I think I would probably just re repeat those. But my biggest one would be a sense of humour. They're going to you know, look at adversity and they're going to smile and they're going to laugh at it. And they're going to be the person that you can have a drink with down the pub on a Friday. You can go look at that week we've just got through. So thank you to my guests, Stephen James, Mike Crofts and Sally Orange. In the next episode, we'll explore the skill set veterans bring to future industries. I do hope you'll join us then on Veterans Work, the podcast. Bye bye. <laughs>